Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Ronnie will be teaching from the book of Romans, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. In chapter 1, Paul has carefully been building a case to drive home the point, listen, to drive home the point that the entire world is guilty before God. Chapter 1, we've talked about this. If you've missed any of these teachings, you can order them in a bookstore. In chapter 1, the heathen is indicted by creation. In the first part of chapter 2, the hypocrite is indicted by his conscience. And then in the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3 this morning, the Hebrew is indicted by the commandments. So chapter 1, the heathen is indicted by creation. The first part of chapter 2, the hypocrite is indicted by his conscience. And then the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3, the Hebrew is indicted by the commandments. So Paul's point is this. Are you listening? All of humanity is guilty before God. All are indicted. Now, so far in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul has stripped away, if you've been with us, you know this. Paul has stripped away all the self-righteousness of the Jew. And at that point, the Jew would then fire back, well, what about circumcision? We have a special mark. We are the people of God. And Paul says circumcision means nothing if your heart is not right. You see, the Jew, listen close, had attached themselves to rituals and detached from reality in relationship with God. They attached themselves to rituals and detached themselves from reality and relationship. So they're looking to their circumcision to make them right with God. Much like people do today, looking to their baptism to make them right with God. Are you a Christian? Well, yeah, I've been baptized. Well, no, I ask you, you're a Christian. Well, my, my, my father was a preacher. Uh, you're a Christian. You see, looking to the ritual and leaving off the relationship. God, are you listening? Is more concerned with your relationship than he is with your ritual. God wants you to have a relationship with him. And so by this time in our study, Paul has stripped away everything that the Jew put confidence in. So the natural follow-up question would then be Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're with me, say amen. amen. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit is of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because to them, the Jew was committed, the what saints? The oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? 
Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Well, certainly not. Perish the thought. God forbid. No way, Jose. Indeed, let God be true. And what, saints? Every man a liar. Paul says, as it is written, referring back to Psalm 51, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God in verse 7 has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Notice, stop right there, give me your attention again Paul has stripped away everything that the Jew would put confidence in. The Jew would then fire back, well then what is the point, what is the advantage of being a Jew? Now we're going to talk about it in Romans chapter 9, as Romans chapter 9 lists several other advantages of being a Jew. But here in chapter 3, Paul says one advantage of being a Jew is that God has committed the oracles, watch this, the oracles of God to the Jew. In other words, God has given the written revelation of himself to the Jewish people. And we have much to be thankful to the Jew for them bringing to us Gentile folks the written revelation of the word of God. You understand? Say amen. And they had to go through a lot. As they copied the scriptures, they had to go through a lot. As they would take the Torah and begin to copy the Torah, they would have to take a pen and dip it in the inkwell and they would write a letter. And then they had to throw the pen away, go away, change, wash, wash, take a bath, change their clothes, come back, get a new pen, and dip it in the inkwell and write another letter. Throw that pen away, go away, take a bath, change their clothes, come back, get a new pen, dip it in the inkwell, write another letter. You guessed it, throw that pen away, go away, take a bath, change their clothes, come back, get a new pen, write another letter. That's what they had to go through in order to copy the scriptures. You know, for us, we just we just write down the Bible, write down the words like it's no no piggy. I'm on my computer typing a sermon, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, look at the scripture. You know, I say, oh, take your pen. Got a pen? Got a pad? Take notes. You know, we just write it down. The Jew had to go through a lot. God committed the oracles of God to the Jew, and we have much to be thankful for. And Paul says that's the advantage of being a Jew, is that God's word, the oracle, that word oracle, if you're taking notes, is the Greek word logos, and it literally means a brief utterance, a divine oracle. The oracle of God speaks of, as I said, the written revelation before the time of Jesus. He gave the Jewish people, God gave the Jewish people his word. And that's an indescribable gift. The Jewish people were God's library keepers. 
The Jewish people were the recipients and the guardians, watch this, of the treasure of the enduring word of God. The Jewish people were the recipients, the guardians of the treasure of the enduring word of God. You know, it was Isaiah who said it like this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. Isaiah said, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God, do you know it, stands or endures forever. God's word endures for how long, saints? Forever. Now, in the Greek language, the word forever means forever. Eternity. God's word endures forever. Listen, the second law of thermodynamics says this. Everything is going from order, you know that, to disorder. And get this, Isaiah completely agrees with that. Isaiah says the flesh is fading and the grass is withering. Isn't it true? The paint on your house is peeling. The car that you drive is rusting. The weeds are growing. Your hair is getting gray and my hair is getting thin. Don't say amen there. Your skin is getting wrinkled. And no matter what you do to try to stop the process, you can't stop it. I know that Botox is a really popular item in our country. But you can inject all day long. I'm just keeping it real, people. You know I love you. But you can't stop the aging process because we're getting older. Things go from order to disorder. But the oracle of God endures for how long, saints? Forever. God's word endures forever. Talking about, listen, the enduring word of God in the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And you might want to pick up this book. Perhaps we have some in the bookstore. Evidence That Demands a Verdict is a book written by Josh McDowell, and he wrote this talking about the enduring word of God. He wrote, written on the material that perishes, having to be copied and recopied for hundreds of years before the invention of the printing press, did not diminish its style, talking about the word, correctness, or existence. The Bible, compared with other ancient writings, has more manuscript evidence than any ten pieces of classical literature combined. God's word endures and it doesn't change. In 303 AD, the Roman emperor Diocletian demanded, listen, that every copy of the scriptures in the Roman Empire be burned. And he failed. And 25 years later, the Roman emperor Constantine commissioned a scholar named Eusebius to prepare 50 copies of the Bible at the government expense. God's word endures. Voltaire the French skeptic and infidel who died in 1778 said that hundreds of years from this time, Christianity would be swept from existence and pass into eternity, and that the Bible would be a forgotten book, he said. Only 50 years, get this, after his death, the Geneva, the Geneva Bible Society used his press and his house to produce stacks of Bibles. <laughs> God's word endures forever and God has a sense of humor. Amen, saints. Someone once wrote this. Listen, infidels for 1800 years have been refuting and overthrowing this book. And yet it stands today solid as a rock. 
its circulation increases and it is more much loved or more loved and cherished and read today than ever before. Infidels with all their assaults make much Make, a, make about as much impression on this book as a man with a tack hammer would on the pyramids of Egypt. When French monarch proposed the persecution of the Christians in his dominion, an old statesman and warrior said to him, Sire, the church of God is an anvil that was worn out many hammers. And so the hammers of the infidels have been pecking away at this book for ages, but the hammers are worn out and the anvil still endures. If this book had not been the book of God, men would have destroyed it long ago. Emperors and poets and kings and priests and princes and rulers have all tried their hand at it, and they die, and the Bible lives on. Amen, saints. Y'all wait, that's fine. And listen at this. A young musician once went to see his old music teacher, and during the visit, his elderly mentor took a tuning fork. And he struck it on the end of the table. And he said, this is an A. Well, from the floor above, they could hear the voice of a singer rehearsing. She, she sings sharp, the old teacher said with a smile. He struck the tuning fork again and paused as he lifted it and said, she is sharp, but this is an A. Always has been, always will be. 440 vibrations per second. It will still be an A 5,000 years from now. When all other claims to truth have had their say, the word of God will stand alone in the end. Everything else changes. Philosophies come and go, but God's word remains the abiding truth. This is God's word. It was God's word yesterday. It is God's word today, and it will be God's word 5,000 years from now. Kingdoms rise and fall. Ideas come and go. The values of the world will change, but God's word will remain the one constant in a world of change and confusion. Isn't that true? God's word endures for how long, saints? Forever. It's the enduring word of God that was committed to the Jewish people. So the advantage of being a Jew, Paul points out in our text, is that God's word was committed to them. Now in verses 3 through 8, the Jewish people would then respond to the idea of this advantage. And if you're taking notes, Paul then gives them three objections that the Jew would have, gives us three objections that the Jew would have. The first one is found in verse 3. Go ahead and look at it in your Bibles again. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And then in verse 4, certainly not. Let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, and, and uh, Paul begins to quote from Psalm 51, a psalm of David, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. You see, the fact that the Jewish people rejected the gospel did not mean that God's faithfulness to them was in vain. And Paul is basically saying, listen, God is always true no matter how much man fails. Amen, saints? God is always true. God is never unfaithful. God never goes back on his word. God's truth doesn't rely on people believing it or not. Now, that's good news. You know, some people say, well, I, you know, you're sharing with them with the Bible in the word. And they say, well, I, you know, I, I just don't believe the Bible. As if because they don't believe the Bible, you should stop talking. 
Well, I just, I, I just don't believe the Bible. I'm like, uh, so? When you're sharing with the Spirit, I just don't believe God's word. I don't believe anything it has to say. You can't use God's word because I don't believe in it. Listen, just because you don't believe in it, it doesn't make it any less true. Somebody say amen. amen. Just because you don't believe in it. You know, somebody once gave this example. They said, suppose you go into a math class and, and a teacher writes on the board, two plus two equals four. Oh, wait a minute. I don't believe it. Well, listen, that doesn't mean that it isn't true. Amen. God is true. And because God is true, he won't let you down. God is true. You know, people will disappoint you and let you down, but God will never let you down. Did you know that? He'll never let you down. You know, I heard a story of a college man, listen, who walked into a photography studio with a framed picture of his girlfriend, and he wanted the picture duplicated. Well, this involved removing it from the frame. Well, in doing this, the studio owner noticed the inscription on the back of the photograph, and it read this. My dearest Tom, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you, Tom, forever and ever. I am yours for all eternity. And it was signed, Diane. And it contained a P.S. If we ever break up, I want this picture back. <laughs> you know, God... God isn't like that. Did you know God doesn't have any P.S.'s in his love letter in the Bible? You know, others might break up with you, but God will never break up with you. Maybe that's a prophetic word for somebody here today. God will never break up with you. Men will. Men have P.S.'s. But God's love letter has no P.S.'s. Now, in this second part of verse 4, go ahead and look at it again. Paul, as I said, was quoting from Psalm 51 when David finally broke down and he acknowledged his sin with Bathsheba. And David said, Lord, your justice and judgment is right. David said, God, all that you do is right. You are justified in the things that you do. And it's there in Psalm 51 that David was willing to condemn himself so that God might be seen as righteous. The second objection is found in verse 5, if you're still tracking with me. Look at it again in verse 5 in your Bibles. If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, is God unjust who inflicts wrath? So the Jew would say, hey, I might as well be unrighteous because if my unrighteousness reveals the righteousness of God then we might as all well do what we want and then God can be more glorified. That's just dumb. I don't know how to say that. You know, well, and look, if God is glorified in my sin, God is seen even more, then why don't I just sin it up and then God gets more glory? This, is, this would be the second, and then part of the second objection. And then Paul answers that in verse 6. He says, God forbid, for then how would God judge the world? So if the Jew is saying, let's live and do whatever we want to do because it will justify God in his judgment, Paul says, God forbid, how would God be a just God in doing that? And then the third objection is found in verses 7 and 8. Go ahead and look at that again. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory then why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil, that good may come? You see, the Jew would argue if my sin only magnifies the grace of God, then we should sin again, they say. 
so that God's grace can be revealed. And if you notice in verse seven and eight, Paul doesn't really even answer that argument. He simply says, if you think that your condemnation is just, you're getting exactly what you deserve. Notice in verse nine, if you're there, say amen. What then, Paul says, are we better than they? Well, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are, note this, all under sin. As it is written in verse 10, as a matter of fact, why don't you read verse 10 through verse 14 with me? Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have come together, become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Stop right there. So the Jew, give me your attention, has an advantage in that the word of God has been revealed to him. But the Jew is still a sinner. Paul says we are not better than anyone else. Not at all. Paul says, listen, we have just proved that the Jews and the Gentiles are under sin. Would you note that? Please look at it again in your Bible in verse nine. We are all under notice singular sin. Notice he doesn't say we are all under sins, plural with an S. He says we are all under sin. That literally speaks to our sin nature. Sins refer to, are you listening? Sins refer to the things that we do. Sin in the Bible, singular, refers to our sin nature. The Bible is clear. When you come into the world, we come into the world with a sin nature. It's innate. You don't have to do anything in order to be put in the category of a sinner. You know, as a pastor, I had the opportunity to go to hospitals when people have babies and they call me and I go up and walk into the hospital room and I just see it happened last week a couple had a baby got in the hospital room baby just cute as a button just cute just you walk in the room you look see a baby, little baby sleeping and little skin and just cute look like a little angel and I walk in oh look at the little angel you know baby just light shining on you know oh, you know <laughs> A little, little angel. And at the same time, I have to remember that little angel oh, is actually a sinner. You know, I, I say, look, 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 start early, parents. As soon as they come in the world, just say, you just a little sinner. <laughs> when they start crying and carrying on, just say, you know what? You're just a little sinner. And then by the time they're 16 or 17 years old, they already have it. And then you can just say, you know, what are you? I'm a sinner. That's right. <laughs> Don't you forget it. Because we're born 
with this sin nature. Listen, we are sinners because we are born with the sin nature. We are not sinners, are you listening, because we do something sinful. Otherwise, a person, for example, who's never committed adultery would say, I never committed adultery, I must not be a sinner. I've never stolen anything, I must not be a sinner. Well, listen, it's proof that we are sinners because of this innate sin nature. Because you don't have to teach your children to lie. They just do. Did you eat them cookies? No. Well, what is those chocolate chips I see all around your face? Would you believe acne? They just do. You don't have to teach them to steal. No good parent says, listen, Johnny. All kids in all stories are named Johnny. I know, I know what the deal is there. Well, let me teach you how to steal now. You don't have to teach them these things. They just do. You don't have to teach them a lie. They just do because of the sin nature within us. We all have the nature of sin. So Paul is simply pointing out that all humanity is guilty. Everyone is indicted. And to drive the point home, Paul first deals with their character. And in this text, in verses 10 through 18... Paul gives six Old Testament quotes. Beginning with Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, There is none righteous. Look at verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. And just in case you don't have it clear in your mind, Paul says, There is none that understands. Understands what? That there is none that understands the true nature of God. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.